we are 48 days away from something. 2023. <laughs> okay, from next year. Christmas is a little less than 48 days. Christmas is there. It's coming. It's coming. Okay, and uh, people are getting ready for the Christmas holidays. Okay, plans are being made to maybe visit family, decorate the house, buy gifts for the children, prepare all kinds of delicious food, etc. And so what happens is around the mid of November, people coast into the Christmas mood. Isn't that true? Yeah, that's what happens. And uh, so we can go into a relaxed kind of mode over the next seven weeks. I'm coming here to change that. <laughs> what do I mean? Okay, I shared this with the leaders the other day, but imagine a marathon race. Okay, you're running a marathon. And people finish that race in three ways. One way is they don't finish the race. They just collapse on the way there. Yeah? Okay. The other way is you see some people who just make it. You know, and they're just struggling, and they just cross the finish line, but they've done it. And then you've got a third group of people who, who have been jogging along, running along, and suddenly they see the finish line and they zoom. They put in an extra burst of energy and they cross that line. And uh, this morning, I want to encourage us to follow option number three. Option number three. We have seven weeks to the end of 2022 and the beginning of 2023. By the grace of God, we are alive and well. Okay, a lot has happened, but a lot can happen in seven weeks if we give ourselves to it. And, and these seven weeks can make a big difference in how you finish the year. Maybe the year has not been so good for you, okay? Or it has been good. But if you, as I go through the word this morning, if we give ourselves to seven weeks doing what I'm talking about doing from Scripture, we can end the year 2022 on a high note rather than, you know, oh, I just made it, okay? Or collapsing and not even finishing, okay? And, uh, yeah, and if each of us lived, you know, true to our tagline, you see the tagline there, it says, enjoying God, making friends, changing lives. And, and, we, and those are biblical values. We've just pulled them out there. And we're going to look into the Bible today and look at the lives of people who live this way. And their life stories will be an inspiration and an example for us all. Okay? So those of you who don't know, our tagline is there, enjoying God, making friends, and changing lives. So let's look at some biblical examples that would envision us. Okay. Our first tagline is, the first part of it is enjoying God. And the person we're going to look at this morning is a man called Cornelius. And you know what? He wasn't even a believer at this stage. But he led an exemplary life. Okay, and so Acts chapter 10 verses 1 to 4. Acts chapter 10 verses 1 to 4. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. And this is how the Bible describes him. He and all his family were devout 
and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Wow, what an amazing description. And at this point, he wasn't a believer, as in a true believer. He was a believer in the Jewish God, but he had not yet come to faith in Jesus Christ. But he led an exemplary life. And uh, what is, so what does the Bible tell us about him? It says, he was God-fearing. One of the first things. You know, the fear of God is mentioned 300 times in the Bible. In fact, Proverbs chapter 9, verses 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Okay? This morning, we, God spoke to us about fear. And we cast out the spirit of fear. We don't want the spirit of fear, but the fear of God is a good thing. In fact, it was Jesus himself who says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So I'm picking up this one characteristic of Cornelius. Yeah, enjoying God. And one aspect of enjoying God is being devout. God-fearing, and uh, you know, we, we need to hear about this aspect of God. Okay, we, we know that as believers, God has spared us. He has, we've been delivered from the wrath of God, but only because of Jesus. Not our good works or our goodness. Only because of Jesus. You know, imagine there's a wire running here. It's connected to the mains, and it's live. What would happen if we touched it? You get a shock, you get electrocuted, you'll die. Okay? But if you put rubber gloves and touched it, what would happen? Nothing would happen to you. You'd be safe. It's not because of you, it's the rubber gloves. The wire has not changed. The same way, our God has not changed. What's happened is because we are in Christ we can come into God's presence, okay? So the fear of God is a good thing. And the fear of God keeps us from sin. And we say, Lord, I want to live before you. In, uh, uh, in Exodus, in Exodus uh, chapter 18, verse 21, when God told Moses to select leaders, he said this, but select capable men from all the people, men who fear God. Just an important quality to have. So the question I want to ask us this morning is, are we living with that reverent fear of God? Okay, it's not a scared fear, but it's knowing who God is. Knowing His holiness. Knowing what pleases Him. And uh, so, so that's what it is. Okay, the second aspect of Cornelius we see was that he was devout. He was devout. What does it mean to be devout? Another word would be to be faithful, okay? It says he, he regularly prayed, he gave generously to the poor, and that was Moses, uh, that was Cornelius, he was faithful. And so when we talk about enjoying God and our relationship to God, I want to ask you, would you describe yourself as being faithful to God and his church? Okay, faithful. Now, the word faithful, Moses was called faithful as one in the household of God. Paul called Timothy faithful. Jesus is called faithful 
and God is called faithful in scripture. What about you? So that's a wonderful thing to aspire for. You know, another word for faithful synonym is constant. That means like clockwork, unchanging, it's going ahead. I have a living example with me, my mother-in-law, Nini. You know, she's only 85 years old, young, all right? But she's up at 6.30, she's in the living room with her Bible, with her prayer books, and she's faithful in prayer. The Bible commands us to be faithful in prayer. And uh, so not only is she faithful in the hour of prayer, but she's faithful to attend the gym meeting. You know, uh, uh, Michelle told us about the gym meeting, the living room, the prayer meeting. And it's not because she's got nothing else to do, but she's been doing this all her life. She's cultivated being devout like Cornelius, being faithful. And uh, so let me encourage us this morning. Will you be faithful in the things, to the things of God? Maybe you've been faithful to coming to Sunday meetings. That's great. But you've not been part of a gym. Now, uh, the application I've put for all these three, all these different points is called plus one. Not the phone, one plus, but plus one is this. What it means is you're saying, I've been doing this. You know, we are all at different levels, you know. So we are not comparing ourselves with somebody else. We are saying, this is where I am at. I'm going to up my living, you know. So if I've only been coming on a Sunday morning, I'm going to say, I'm going to be part of a gym now. Or if I've been part of a gym as well, say, hey, I'm going to be part of the living room and the weekly prayer. And so your plus one, your behavior with the different opportunities to be faithful and devout. So aim to do something you've not been doing yet. And, and And the basic thing I'd say is your devotional time each day. You see, Cornelius was devout. God sent an angel to speak to him. Wow. And, and that angel said this in, in, verse, in chapter 10, verse 7. Sorry, verse, uh, verse 4, second part. He says, your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Wow. Because of Cornelius' faithfulness in prayer, God sent an angel to meet with him. Amazing. Okay? So the first point this morning is enjoying God. Next seven weeks, can you, can you make some sort of commitment to say, look, I'm going to be faithful. Maybe you've not been having a quiet time every day. So I'm going to be faithful in meeting with the Lord each day. Or maybe you've been doing that, but you've not been part of a gym. So I'm going to be faithful and be part of a gym. You know, maybe you're part of the gym and you enjoy the barbecue and the other wonderful food that they dish out of the gyms, you know, but he's saying, I'll be part of living room or the prayer, you know, so you're plus one. All right, let's look at the next one. The second thing in our tagline is making friends, okay, making friends. Christianity is not a religion, but it's a set of relationships. You, you come to faith in Jesus Christ and become a child of God. That's how we become children of God. And then we are adopted into God's family and we have brothers and sisters. And there are two types of relationships we need to cultivate. 
you know, apart from our relationship with God. It's our relationship with those in the family, look at one another, with these people around us, and those who are not yet in the family. And uh, we're, we're going to look at a couple of examples in Scripture. Let's turn to Acts chapter 18, and we look at Apollos, and we look at Aquila and Priscilla. In Acts chapter 18, verse 24, it tells us about Apollos. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. What kind of a man was Apollos? He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. Wow. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately. And here's the catch. Though he only knew of the baptism of John, he began to speak in the, in the synagogue. So Apollos knew the scriptures. He had been instructed about Jesus, but he knew one bit, only the baptism of John. And so he was a believer. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard about him, verse uh, 26, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. So here was a man, zealous for God. He knew the scriptures, knew a little bit about Jesus, but was not fully acquainted. And Aquila and Priscilla, Priscilla and Aquila, saw him and said, hey, come to our home. And they came and they took him in and, and they taught him the word of God more adequately. Now it teaches us two things. Here we learn about the humility of Apollos. Okay? He could have said to them, hey, who do you think you are? You know, I, I, am, I, am, I, have, I have a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. Why are you telling me anything? I'm speaking with great fervor. I'm speaking about Jesus accurately. I'm boldly speaking in the synagogue. Maybe Priscilla and Aquila didn't do that. He was doing that. But his humility in receiving from them. And what did they do? Okay, they instructed him. And uh, in, in verse, in verse um, 28, and on, oh, sorry, 27, the second part of it is said, when he went to Achaia, on arriving, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. Verse 28, for he vigorously refuted the Jews in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Okay, all this happened because Priscilla and Aquila saw him, invited him for a meal, maybe he stayed with them, and they taught him and helped him grow in his faith. In Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, we are reminded, and let us consider how we may spur one another towards love and good deeds. Anybody seen a horse being spurred? What do you think a horse is spurred with? <laughs> okay, it's a pointy metallic star that hurts you. You know, next time your wife doesn't get up, Try spurring her with something pointed. <laughs> or my husbands do that. It's, it's painful, isn't it? Yeah? So, so that's not, we are called to spur one another to love and good deeds. Not with a spur. <laughs> so don't do that. But uh, we may say things to people to encourage them. And it may not always be pleasant. That's the point there. That there is a little bit of pain involved. Okay? So we look at that. So... It's great to eat together, have barbecues together, 
But let us also encourage one another towards godliness. That's the point of meeting, meeting together. So what is God? So when we come together, you know, at the end of the meeting, many of us will go out for lunch together, and that's great. But start talking about spiritual things as well. You know, hey, what, what, what's been God speaking to you lately? Or, you know, have you, what's a book that you've been reading or a sermon that you've heard that has inspired you? Well, what can I pray for you? What are you struggling with? Or you could say things that can spur a little bit. Have you considered serving in the church and doing something? You know? Or uh, are you aware that we meet for prayer as a church every week? Yeah? So things like that. Ephesians 4.15 says this. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. Okay? So we are called to speak the truth in love. So if you see somebody, you know, who's been part of Word of Grace, but they're not involved in, say, serving or anything else or hospitality, it'd be good to speak the truth in love and say, hey, you know, you've been part of the church, but are you playing your role? You know, this is something that you could do. All right? And that is the kind of spurring that is needed. It's a little bit painful, but remember, it says here, speak the truth in love. Now, before you go out and start speaking to everybody here, I want to tell you the illustration of a bridge. You, you know, a bridge connects one point to the other. Okay? Now, what can go on that bridge safely depends on the strength of that bridge. Isn't that? We know that only too well from Gujarat. Yeah? 140 people died because the strength of the bridge was not enough. Okay? What bridge are we talking about? We're talking about the bridge between, that's a relationship between you and that person. So before you can walk on that bridge and talk to them, okay, make sure that there is a sufficient relationship that can take the weight of what you're going to say. All right? So first build the bridge, then spur one another towards love and good deeds. So don't go up to some total stranger here this morning and say, hey, you should be here at 10.30. <laughs> you know, or why didn't I see you at the prayer meeting last Sunday? <laughs> you know, so don't do that. Build the bridge, build the relationship, okay, and then speak the truth, but in love. All right, let's move on. So that's the second one. Okay, so think about this. Plus one. Who will you schedule a coffee, a tea, a lunch, a dinner with somebody in the phone or somebody in the church, maybe on the phone. And uh, will you invest in them, in, in inquiring about them? How are they doing spiritually? How are they doing otherwise? Can you pray for them? You know? and, uh, and again, speaking the truth in love. Yeah? And the rest of us must be like Apollos and say we are willing to humbly receive what, what people have to say. All right? Because no, none of us is like Jesus. We can all receive input. Huh? Okay. So plan that out. Plan that out on, on meeting up with somebody. And that's, that's what the Bible commands us to do. It's to spur one another. When was the last time you spurred somebody unto godliness? That's what the Bible talks about. All right. Let's look at number three. Changing lives. 
changing lives. In, in, uh, you know, there's a man in scripture called Philip, and he first comes to us in Acts. And in Acts chapter 8, we hear of Philip. Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Remember that? Yeah? Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Not our Philip here. <laughs> but uh, so, and now, Philip had an amazing experience. You know, an angel comes to him and says, hey, go there and meet this person, this Ethiopian eunuch. And we, we know the story. Don't we know the story? Yeah? But we, but we look at it. But just before I get to Philip there, uh, you know, before he had this amazing encounter, we just trace back to Acts chapter 8, verse 4. What did Philip do? He went to Samaria, and in verse 5 it says, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. Wow. What else did he do? Verse 6. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, wow, they all played, paid close attention to him. Verse 7. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed, so there was great joy in the city. Wow. Is, wasn't Philip anointed? Yeah? Angel gives him directions about where to go. He goes to Samaria, preaches the word, paralytics are healed, evil spirits cast out, and so many people come to faith. But where did Philip start out? You've got to go to Acts chapter 6, which says in Acts chapter 6, verse 5, the proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip. What did they choose them for? To serve on tables. Okay, to serve on tables. Philip became this great leader and was used greatly by God, but he first set out the chairs. And, and, and that is something I just want to underline once again at Word of Grace. That's the way, that's the biblical way of operating. And I want to encourage each and every one of you to roll up your sleeves and get into serving because that is God's heart. All right. So let's see what happened with Philip. We're going to look at this in a little more detail. So in, Act, in Acts 8, verse 26, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, and Philip obeys him. So that's what he does. And in verse 29, so F Philip goes alongside this chariot. So I don't know how it was. The chariot was going, I don't know what speed it was going, but Philip kept pace with it. So he did it. And he kept, he was so close to the chariot that he could hear this um, uh, Ethiopian official, he could hear him reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. So Philip heard the angel, verse 29, he heard the Holy Spirit. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. So he did that. And uh, then what did Philip do? So Philip started asking questions. So he heard the guy reading and he says, excuse me. <laughs> I know you're reading. Do you understand what it says? <laughs> That's what he did. He just picked a conversation with somebody. Okay? That's what he did. Dude, asking questions. And then the guy says, how can I unless someone explains it to me? And uh, so he invited Philip to come and sit next to him. So Philip starts by asking questions and he takes up the invitation and sits with him. And they continue reading scripture. And then we see in verse 35, then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. 
All right. A amazing, amazing story. How did it start? It started with Philip waiting on tables and then preaching the gospel. God sent an angel to guide him and he obeys. And then he goes to this person and he just starts asking questions. Takes up the invitation and then at the opportune time shares the gospel. Okay. That's how we need to operate. Okay. So here's a person who was not yet in Christ. And next month on the 18th, we are having a Christmas carol Sunday. Don't wake up on the 17th and say, I've got to invite somebody. <laughs> okay. Today. Look, prayerfully consider, Lord, who shall I call? You know, and, and that's where that enjoying God is. We are connected to God. God may send you an angel. I don't know. Let me know if he does. All right, because he sent Philip an angel to direct him. But don't wait for the angel. Okay? We have the spirit of God within us and say, Lord, who do you want? You know, um, the other day I went for a meeting and I saw somebody and, uh, who's not a believer yet. And I felt in my heart, I need to get in touch with that person. Okay, so that, and so I want to encourage each of you. Okay, God wants to use you to see people saved. Okay, and uh, so, so say, God, who do you want me? So start praying. Make a list of names. You know, you know, one name is not enough. You need ten names. Pray for them that that uh, you will get an opportunity. Okay, and uh, you can ask them questions. They'll invite you in. You may get a chance to share the gospel or invite them for the meeting. But do that. We see the other example of. Changing life. And, and the eunuch's life was changed. He got born again, baptized in water, and it says he went away rejoicing, you know, probably filled with the Holy Spirit. The other example in Scripture of changing lives is John chapter 4. Jesus himself in Samaria. In John chapter 4. And it, it tells us there that uh, Jesus was in Samaria. And in this case, he was all alone. I can't understand the admin of this group here, okay? They've gone to Samaria, and they have, they're all hungry, and they need to get lunch. There are 13 of them. 12 of them go to bring lunch. <laughs> and Jesus is alone there. <laughs> there's been a lot of lunch they were going to get, or I don't know what, but that's what happened, you know? And uh, well, what does Jesus do? In verse 7, he talks to the lady, the Samaritan woman who came to draw water. And he says, will you give me a drink? Okay. What is Jesus doing? He's asking for help. Okay? Now, don't hesitate to ask for help. Don't hesitate to ask for help. You know, this is the old joke that says, you know, the Israelites were in the desert 40 years. Why? Because there were men leading them. If it was women, they would have asked for directions. <laughs> it's not true. It's just a joke. Okay? It's not a joke. But you know, men like me and others, we shudder. We don't want to ask for directions or help. Isn't it? And, and, but we've got to overcome that and say, listen, let's ask for help. Okay? Men and women. And Jesus did that. He said, hey, can you give me some water? And that simple statement opened something up and the gospel went to that Samaritan village. Okay? And uh, look at verse 39. Verse 39 says this of chapter 4, John chapter 4. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him 
because of the woman's testimony. Wow. And then it goes on to say in verse 41, uh, and because of his words, many more became believers. So God has placed you on this earth. He has gifted you. He has provided for you. And it's because he's got a purpose for you. And part of that purpose is this, you know, to share the love of God, to share the gospel with people. That's, that's his purpose. We have a great responsibility upon us. Will you plus one on changing lives, you know? Will, will you say, okay, I'm going to make a list. Make a list of people and start praying for them that God would touch them and draw them. Okay? And look for opportunities to initiate contact with them. That's it. And God will do something. And then invite them for the Christmas Carol Sunday. And continue to pray that God would break through into their lives. Okay, because the same God who's such a God of love hates sin and will punish sin one day. Okay, that's the other side of it. Only if you have those rubber gloves in that sense, if we are in Christ, will we be saved. Okay? The whole world is not going to be saved. Remember that. Okay. All right, in conclusion, Imagine if you make those changes in your life, three changes over the next seven weeks, whatever it is for you. Okay? Just think for a minute. You know, you're going to do one thing in each of these things, enjoying God, making friends, and changing lives. Just one thing. Seven weeks, you've got to do it. Do you think you will have progressed as a Christian? Yeah, you will have. You know? And imagine if all of us do it, Imagine how it will be here. This church, this Asherwal Hall will be filled before 10.30 a.m. All right? Sunit would be saying, please don't come for the setup. We have too many people. <laughs> yeah? Imagine all of us taking people out for lunch, you know, and sharing our lives, teaching, praying for one another. And imagine us reaching out to people who don't know Jesus, serving them, asking them for help, praying for them, inviting to our, us to our Christmas carol service. It could literally be heaven on earth. What's, gonna, what's stopping us? You know, we have a spirit, and the, your spirit is saying yes. We have a soul, but we also have a body. Okay? And uh, that body, that flesh of ours, you know, is is a bad, I mean, look, look at 1, 1 Corinthians 9.27. See what Paul says. Paul says, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So a simple way to follow through on this is you have to beat your body. So after this meeting, go and get a nice stick. <laughs> okay, and remember it says, beat your body, not somebody else's body. <laughs> Okay, so don't beat somebody here. But Paul said, I beat my body, I buffet it, I make it my slave, you know, because, because that's how it is. We're weak. You know, our spirit wants this, but the flesh is weak. And so here, here are some thoughts. We can do some things to help us. One of the things that helps us is when we are accountable. Yeah? And so, for example, on, on your gym group, 
you can share a verse, something that God spoke to you in your daily devotions. You know, you can encourage people to say, hey, come on, let's, be, let's all be part of living room or the prayer incense, the prayer time or the prayer here before the meeting. You know, so that we are spurring one another towards love and good deeds. Hmm? Maybe you can say, okay, come on, let's see how we can help out with serving and doing different things. And, uh, and holding one another accountable. Maybe you can go to somebody and say, you know, I'm struggling in this area. Will you hold me accountable? Ask me whether I'm going to do this, 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 and that. Okay? And as we do that over the next seven weeks, you will grow stronger and the church of Jesus Christ will be built up. Amen. Amen. Let's just pray this morning. You know, we, we can't do this on our own. We need the Holy Spirit. Okay? And we're going to pray. We're going to pray. Okay? Okay, but before we pray, I'll say, if you have thought of one thing at least you're going to do, and you're saying you need help in that, would you like to stand? We'll pray for that. One thing you're not doing right now. But you're saying, there's one thing I'm committing. Think of one thing that you're going to do. One thing, one thing. Okay, because it can just be a sermon and we're gone. But look at one thing that you're going to do. And you're saying, Lord, I want to do that. And you're standing up as a sign between you and God and saying, I'm going to do it. All right? One thing. I'm going to pray for that. Oh, Lord, thank you. Father. Lord, I pray for us this morning. Well, I pray for each one here, especially those who are standing up, Lord, who have committed to do that one thing, to grow in Christ-likeness, Lord. I pray for much grace to be poured out by your Spirit, Lord, by your Spirit, that we would be able to do things, Lord, which we can't do on our own, but we are dependent on you to do. Would you give us the grace to do that, Lord? May your blessing and your favor be upon all of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful, have a wonderful week. We'll see you during the week.